You know, as I prepared for this week, you sit with a text and you think it says one thing to you, and then it's reshaped. You rethink it. Um, you think, what is really Jesus all about? You know, what is the purpose of his being here? And you know, years and years of training um, taught me lots of answers to that question. You know, uh, years and years. You know, I, I think I learned one thing when I was growing up in Sunday school, and then I went off to college, and, and uh, you know, my undergraduate degrees in religious studies from the University of Virginia, so it was more of a philosophy of religion kind of degree. So I developed a philosophy of why we do this religious thing uh, all the time while pushing back on all of my professors who were taking away all of my childhood Sunday school impressions of God, which were really too small, but they worked for me, and I wasn't appreciative of being pushed. Uh, and then I went off to seminary and, you know, trying to hold all the answers in a box, you know, in two different boxes, the box that my professor needed to have so I could pass his test or her test, and uh, the answers that I'm sure I was right about. You know, uh, and I was, uh, you know, and so I held those two until Don Saliers, uh, who was teaching my systematic theology class, stood up uh, for a lecture. It, it, it had to either be a, I think it was a Monday, Wednesday class, so it had to be on a Wednesday because it threw off my whole plan for the preaching of the six sermons that coming Sunday. But he got up and he said, you know, for most of us, houses, houses of, uh, our faith is a house of cards. And we have a lot of cards that we think we have to build our faith on. We have convinced ourselves that there's a long list of things that make our faith real. What happens if on that house of cards someone pulls one of the cards that's on the bottom that we're convinced is true away? What happens to the house of cards? Well, if you've ever built a house of cards, you know exactly what happens. The whole thing collapses. So Don Sellier said to me, and I was convinced, it was a large lecture class. There were 120 of us in the class. Um, I was convinced he was talking just to me. You know, he said to me, be sure, be sure that you choose the right cards. That will never go away. So I guess, you know, my whole life, all, uh, you know, the whole life has been leading up to a point where I've tried to distill, what is God, you know, this is a wicked, humongous book. And especially now that I got the new one, you know, since it's heftier, you know, there's got to be more truth in it, you know, uh, very, very heavy. And, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Since I got the, since I got it and, uh, you know, reading it and paying close attention or at least trying to pay close attention to what, it's saying, what, does, what is this whole message that God wants us to know saying? What is it really saying to us? What is it that God wants us to know? Well, what's interesting is in the Gospel of John, he, he says to us, uh, you say, wait a second, hold on. We're in 1 John, James. I've been reading the first letter of John. Don't be jumping around to the Gospel of John. That's a whole other book, James. I know that. Um, or maybe you didn't. 
And if you didn't, it's perfectly okay. In fact, I think it's probably good if you didn't come up in Sunday school and learn a bunch of truth that you have to spend your whole adult life trying to unlearn. Uh, you know, but uh, talk about cleaning up the story of Noah. That is really a messy story. But that's neither here nor there. Um, when I look at the Gospel of John, Jesus, Jesus says this. And it's going you might, to, you might wonder where the heck we're going with all of this. Well, it fits into today's message that goes right with from the second chapter of 1 John. But right now in the Gospel of John, in chapter 13, Jesus says these words. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you have Love for one another. That's how a disciple is known. Not by how much scripture you've memorized. Lord knows, probably most of you have memorized more than I have, and I've memorized my fair share. Um, it's not by how well you can argue theologically. The bottom line measurement of our lives is love. That's it. That's it. That's what Jesus teaches in the Gospel of John. In fact, it was so important that two chapters later, he revisits it. It wasn't enough to say that in chapter 13. Now in chapter 15, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to bear fruit. I am giving you these commandments so that you may love one another. So apparently, the whole thing boils down to love. What? What a mess. Come on. Come on. But by the time the first letter of John is being written, apparently the church has forgotten. The church has forgotten what the core of what we're all about is. And so the writer, the elder, as he's called, uh, writes these words in the second chapter. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Well, that's, uh, that's good. I'm really glad he's written these things to me. I, unfortunately, I have dropped the ball in that area. You know, he wrote me these things so I might not sin, and apparently we might as well just stop right there because i got to go back and read them again because it hasn't worked out. <laughs> I miss the mark all the time. That's what the word sin means. I miss the mark. I miss the mark. I miss it all the time. But if anyone does sin, oh, good. There's an out clause here. In, it, it's still in the first verse. But I'm looking for the out clause. You know, I am not really a law student, but I like a good out clause. You know, oh, this is, this is what I can argue. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
You know, the word advocate is a translation of a word that means someone who comes alongside you, someone who argues on your behalf. It was a word that could be used for someone who was like your defense attorney. But it was also used for anyone who came alongside you when you needed a friend. And that's who Jesus is, the one who comes alongside of us. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Goes on to say, now by this we may be sure that we know him. This is the measure if we keep his commandments. Now, do we remember what the Johannian commandments are? Abide in God, love one another, period. Abide in God, love one another. Now by this, we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not obey his commandments, that person is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist. Hmm. First John is like uh, butt-kicking for goodness. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. You know, as I look at the church today as an institution, we really don't do a very good job sometimes of loving one another. You know, the only thing that makes the news is when we fight with each other. <laughs> you know, I, I, I will never forget the Friday in January when they released the protocol about how we're going to break up at the United Methodist Church. Yay! Uh, and, uh, you know, it was funny that they break the news on a Friday with all of, the, I, I want to tell you, there was not a single United Methodist clergy friend that I know that was happy. You plan a sermon, by Friday it's in place, Sunday you got to get up and say, got to answer because CNN has reported it and every major news work has reported it that we're breaking up. What does this mean? Well, you know, some people get uptight about it. You all didn't get uptight. I, I'm just surprised that none of you, like, grabbed me after worship. What does this mean? What does this mean? No, everybody was like, okay, whatever happens, we're here. We're together. We got this love thing down, maybe. Um, but, you know, people look in on the church and they see judgment and anger and morality, you know, morality uh, keepers and all sorts of things. And one of the last things they tend to see among us is love. And Jesus said, the world will know us, not by our morality, not by our rules, not by whether we're called United Methodist or Baptist or Presbyterian or Episcopalian or Anglican or Roman Catholic or Orthodox or I am running out of list, Pentecostal. You know, I'm only running out of the list because it's endless. Because we have been so bad at loving one another, we have done nothing but break up over and over and over again until the church is so fragmented all over the world. And we are supposed to show one thing and one thing only, that we love one another. Because by that loving one another, the world will know, too, that they are loved. 
They will see the love of God in us and know that they are loved. So we got some work to do. We've got some work to do. And the work is this. The work is to love one another to the very best of our ability. Love when it's inconvenient. Love when we don't, uh, you know, we don't see what's lovable in one another. We are meant to love one another. Now, what's interesting about the Gospel of John, it's probably written to a community of believers who felt very isolated and a great deal of hostility to, uh, was directed at them by the world around them. So a lot of their language is about circling the wagons. We must abide in God because apparently nobody else does. <laughs> and we must love one another. Whereas in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus says the two great commandments are to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself, which is a bigger picture than loving one another. Because in the Gospel of John and in the letters of John, it says love your brothers and sisters, which John meant other Christians. Other Christians. Oh my gosh, this is so messed up, James. I thought we were supposed to love the world. You just talked about love. It sounds really good. We ought to be out there loving each other, loving the world. And oh my gosh, John just wants us to love only other Christians? What about everybody else? I guess throw them under the bus. Apparently that's what James said. <laughs> throw them under the bus. They don't matter. No, that is not what John is saying. But John is saying that the, before we can ever imagine that we're going to touch the world, we got to get this thing down where we love people that are supposedly like us to begin with. We're supposed to be on the same page. And yet we can argue about which version of the Bible we should, we should be studying. I've got friends that tell me I am a heretic because I like the New Revised Standard Version. And they are NIV guys. And almost all of them are guys. You know, uh, it's really intriguing to me. Then I've got people who are just telling me the message is a terrible translation. And I said, well, it's written, it's translated by one guy. And it's a paraphrase. It's not a translation. But if it helps somebody know God, by all means, read the thing. Why do we got to get so stuck up on the stupid, stupid rules? We got to get the one rule God wants us. Abide in God, which translates as love God. That's what it translates as. Love God. Because if you abide in God, you'll obey his commandments, which are all about love. Love, love, love. Abide in God, love God, and love each other. Because maybe if you can learn to love each other, the world will see what love can do. So we live a, a life but to the right, to the people who would have received this letter, a life that's very tenuous. Because it's really hard to love one another when you get down to it. Because even the people we love let us down. Sometimes they do it intentionally. Sometimes they do it unintentionally. Sometimes we take affront at something they didn't even mean against us. You know, sometimes our relationships end one way or another. How do you keep loving when relationships end? 
Why do I take a risk again? Why should I even think about taking a risk again when that relationship might end? You know, I believed in them, and they died. I believed in them, they betrayed me. I believed in them, they believed in me. I loved them, they loved me, and it didn't go my way. I loved God, and my life became a mess. <laughs> Come on, what the heck? We're on the same page, God. My life is supposed to be nice and neat. Isn't that part of the contract I signed with you? <laughs> You're on my side. You know, I'm on yours. By the way, I want all the cotton candy I can have. <laughs> and I wanted to not put anything on my hips. So uh, that's what I want, magical cotton candy. Last week it was a Ferrari. This week it's magical cotton candy. Next week, who knows what it'll be. What can I get out of this relationship? And God says, nothing but risk. But this is the assurance I want you to have. If you love one another, then you really do know him. If you love one another, you really do know him. Because love means risk. It means uncertainty. It means that just as you're beginning to fall in love, something can happen. Something can break. Something can come apart in ways we'd never imagined. And those are hard times. And yet, the assurance we have, the reassurance is to see in one another that we get back up and we help each other and we walk with one another and we make sure everyone knows they are infinitely loved by God in their vulnerability and brokenness. Sometimes we do a good job. And sometimes we fail. And we keep trying. Because we believe, at least the writer of 1 John did, is that we could be perfected in love. John Wesley believes, you know, in fact, one of my vows when I was ordained was that I believed I was going on to perfection in this life, perfection in love, in this life. Needless to say, there's still a long way for me to go. <laughs> but maybe he stole that from John. If I keep his commandment to love you all, to love one another, and if I can learn to love you all as lovable as you all are, and occasionally unlovable as some of you are, um, then perhaps I can learn to love the world of strangers. But in the end, we are the witness to the world of what the kingdom could look like. Last week, I told you all, you are the word of God proclaimed. Y you are. When you go out of this place, you're proclaiming the word. Now, if the word is ugly and hateful and mean, that's what people hear. <laughs> and it's not a good word, by the way. And if you're proclaiming that, you need to come talk to me, by the way. But, you know, I'll call you now. But... Uh, We are meant to be witnesses to the light, and the light dwells in us in ways so that everyone should know they are loved infinitely in their vulnerability and preciousness. Everyone, everyone is loved. So what are we going to do about this? 
how are we going to practice love? Maybe you should say it every once in a while. Maybe you should say it. But if I understand the letter of John and the gospel of John, it's not enough to say it. It's got to do it. You've got to do the truth. You've got to be the truth. You've got to reflect the truth to the rest of the world and to each other and to yourself in the mirror. One of the practices that is sometimes helpful in the Christian life is the pra practice of examining your life. You do it at the end of every day. And there are specific questions that are often used, but I, I want to put a twist on it. For you, this is your assignment. I'm giving you an assignment already. This is your assignment this week. Your assignment at the end of every day, as you look at the mirror, as you're taking your makeup off, or you know, uh, as whatever you're doing, is to ask the question, where did I experience love today? Where did I experience God's love today? or the love of another human being today? Where did I experience that love? Where did I give love today? Where did I feel the absence of love today? And as you reflect on those questions, what was happening that made you feel the love of God? What was happening that made you feel the love of another? What was happening that made you feel the absence of love? Because if you do that experiment, perhaps the very same things that make you feel the presence of love or the absence of love are the same thing that make other people feel the presence or absence of love. And maybe the things that make you feel the presence of love, you ought to try doing those more. <laughs> things that make you feel the absence of love, maybe you ought to avoid those a little bit. That's the second half of the practice. Ask those questions and then learn from those questions as you live the next day. Learn from those questions as you live the next day. That's your assignment. 